Welcome to the Overcoming Sexual Abuse Podcast, where you get the tools and inspiration to help you overcome childhood sexual abuse. I'm your host, Christina Anavoldson, certified coach, author, and incest survivor, and I'm here to help you heal and live your very best life. With childhood sexual abuse, your needs for protection and nurturing weren't met, and chances are the neglect didn't end in childhood because the way you were treated becomes the way you treat yourself. I'll share the seven hidden ways you're likely perpetuating the cycle of neglect and how to reverse the effects of a neglect and abuse in your life. Child sexual abuse treats you like you're a disposable object, just used for someone else's gratification and then tossed aside. And with child sexual abuse, there's always a neglect factor. One of the reasons is that predators, either inside or outside the home, prey on neglected children. Children who have a parent, or maybe both parents, who aren't paying attention. Children who are left alone, who aren't given a voice or encouraged to own their emotions. Children who don't have anyone else to turn to when they're violated. And it was your parents' job to protect you from predators. And when they didn't, that's a form of neglect. Often, it goes much deeper than that. Much deeper than having a busy or distracted parent or an uninformed parent. Maybe you were treated like a burden, like you were too much, or your emotions were too much, or your needs were too much. You wanted or expected too much. Maybe you were made to feel like it was selfish to want attention. Maybe you were shamed when you needed comfort or reassurance. And maybe you learned to suck it up or to shove your emotions down or to distract yourself or to deny you even felt bad. And maybe you learned to say you were fine, to smile through your pain or fear or anger because nobody would be there for you anyway. And to show your vulnerability would only lead to being pushed away even more. People were careless with you and you learned to be careless with yourself. You learned to live as though being low maintenance is a virtue. You put yourself last, trying not to bother anyone, trying not to be too needy. Maybe to prove that you're not needy, you take care of everyone else and let everyone else need you. You're the dependable one or the kind one or the wise one. And so people come to you. And so the neglect that started in childhood actually goes on and on and on. And so let's get into the hidden ways you might be neglecting yourself and staying in those neglectful and abusive patterns with yourself. And really, it's the hidden beliefs and ways of thinking because behavior starts with thoughts. And the reason that they're hidden is because they don't seem like thoughts. They seem like just the way things are. They seem very reasonable, especially because these behaviors and these ways of being are reinforced by our culture. But so much of our culture is based on survival methods. It's about coping. It's about making the pain go away or about proving your worth. And since abuse and neglect are so prevalent, it makes sense why our culture would be shaped by coping methods. So these thoughts and behaviors don't feel optional. They don't feel like thoughts or like you have a choice about them. They just seem like the way things are. 
But the first step to changing them is to be aware of them. So going from neglecting yourself and putting yourself last to taking good care of yourself and prioritizing your needs, it can feel foreign and uncomfortable, and it can even feel wrong. But keep in mind that anything new feels uncomfortable. That discomfort doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just not familiar. And the brain really, 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 really likes familiar. The familiar feels safe, but the familiar isn't optimal. You can't thrive staying in the familiar. Keeping things the same just means repeating the same patterns of thoughts and emotions and behaviors over and over. And so childhood abuse issues become then adult issues and last really until you die unless you intentionally address them. So the price of a new and improved life is feeling discomfort. And that discomfort just means this isn't the way we usually do things. And that's a good thing. So it might feel wrong to prioritize yourself and to take good care of yourself, but just keep that in mind. Another reason they're so strong, those beliefs, is because believing that, believing that your needs weren't important, that protected you. It was survival to think of yourself as unworthy and undeserving. Otherwise, the neglect would have been intolerable and the abuse would have been worse. So what if you were aware of just how unjust your situation was or that you couldn't do anything about it? And of course, your brain will fight to change those thoughts. And that's okay. Your brain is just trying to keep you safe. And knowing that you're prepared, you can tell yourself that there is nothing wrong with feeling uncomfortable. And it doesn't mean it's wrong to prioritize yourself. It might feel selfish to care for yourself, to treat yourself like you're someone important, like someone worth caring for. So think about how you came to believe that. You weren't born thinking that. When you were a baby, you had one way of communicating your needs, which was crying. And when you had a need, you didn't take a survey of everybody else in the room. You didn't consider if your mom was tired or needed sleep. You didn't wait to cry. You just had a need and you cried. It was just that simple. And so you weren't born thinking that you're selfish and you weren't born thinking that it's selfish to take care of yourself. It's how you were treated and what was said to you that made you think that it's selfish. It's something interesting I've noticed in my group programs, both Bloom and Flourish. They are really great opportunities for sharing and connection and getting real and getting support through the celebrations and the really tough stuff too. And one of the things that most group members deal with is the internal accusation, you just want attention. And there's often a craving for attention, but a fear of it too, and a shame of wanting the attention. But what's wrong with wanting attention? Attention and love go together. Like when you love someone, you pay attention to them. You notice them and you respond to them. And attention is a universal human need. It's what we all need. But when we've been treated as though it's selfish, as though we're a pain, we're a burden, then we learn to think that it's selfish. 
And we tend to shame ourselves the way that we were shamed. And we go into this hyperbole and thinking, I'm the worst person. And there's that tone of, what are you thinking, Christina? Do you expect everyone to just drop everything and focus on you? And so wanting attention is seen as this bad thing when it's a really just universal human need. Everyone has it. And yes, as an adult, you're responsible for your own needs. And it's not realistic that others would put all their focus on you. However, you didn't learn this shame as an adult. Those were lessons of childhood when you should have been able to count on other people to meet your needs. At the beginning of getting your needs met is having someone's focus of having them notice you and what your particular needs are at that moment. That loving attention communicates to you that you're worthy of it, you're valuable, your needs are important. And that kind of attention was supposed to be modeled to you as a way of you caring for yourself. And as an adult, it's good to have attention from others. But others aren't supposed to have their focus on your needs. However, you are. And that focus, that noticing your particular needs from moment to moment, that attention, that was supposed to feel good. And it was supposed to feel normal and familiar. And from that place of that connection with yourself and your needs being met, from that place, you have the resources to give and to share with others. And everything else in your life comes out of how you care for yourself, how well you care for yourself. So giving care to yourself isn't selfish. Actually, self-care is just the responsible thing to do because you take care of things that are yours. You know, is it selfish to have your car serviced? Is it selfish to wash your clothes? No, it's just taking responsibility for what belongs to you. And your car and your clothes, those are just things. But what could be more responsible than taking care of yourself? You take responsibility for what belongs to you. And you belong to you. You belong to you. Okay, so let's dive deeper into the hidden ways you might be neglecting yourself. The first one is using self-care as a reward. So self-care is a need. It's not a reward. And you don't have to wait until you so-called deserve it. So let me ask you something. When does a car deserve to get fuel? After it's taken you to your destination? Do you say to your car, you don't deserve to have anything in your tank until you've actually done something useful? Cars just don't operate like that. You have to fuel them first, and then they'll work for you. But humans are the same. You're so much more valuable than a car. One definition of abuse is to misuse something, to use it in a way that it's not designed to be used. And that's what you do when you withhold your needs and put yourself last after you've worked, after you've cared for everyone else, after everything. And that's abuse because just like your car, you need to be fueled first. So self-care is not a reward. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't incentivize yourself to reach a goal with some sort of reward, but a reward is something extra. It's not a need like self-care is. In the financial world, there's an adage to pay yourself first. And that means to set money aside for yourself, savings, investment, etc. 
before anything else, before paying your bills. The theory is if you pay everything else first and only save or invest what's left, there likely won't be much, if anything, left over. But if you pay yourself first, you'll find a way to pay for everything else. The same could be said of your self-care. When it comes to planning your day or your week or your month or your life, invest in yourself first. Give yourself what you need, and then you'll find a way to fit everything else in. Otherwise, you just give yourself whatever is left over, and that likely won't be much. I love this quote from Nicola Jane Hobbs. She said, instead of asking, have I worked hard enough to deserve rest? I've started asking, have I rested enough to do my most loving and meaningful work? I started practicing a version of that in my life. I started calling it playing it forward. And playing it forward is starting with play. So I do something creative or fun or inspiring. And then I do what I have to do, my regular responsibilities. And I used to think that playing first was really undisciplined and irresponsible, and it would lead to disaster. And so I tried it. And I found that the truth is it takes discipline to play first because you have to know when to stop playing and to focus on something else. And the secret that I've learned is it's not as much about discipline as it is about presence. And so I used to do fun things. I always have done fun things here and there, but I wasn't present doing them. And so I used them as an escape. And so not being there while I was playing meant I didn't get the benefit from the play. It didn't fill me up. And so I just wanted more and it was never enough. But as I'm present in the play and really there to enjoy it, there's a point when I notice that it's enough and I'm taken care of my needs are filled up. And so I notice that and I notice when, okay, I'm ready to work. And when you're running on empty, when you deny yourself that play and that joy, you make everything harder. My work is easier and more inspired and lighter because I play. Okay, the second hidden way you might neglect yourself is making self-care conditional. So imagine you're a child moving from one traumatic experience to another, and all you know is abuse and neglect. Then unexpectedly, you have a new mother, and she attends to all your needs. She provides nutritious meals and wonderful, stimulating activities. She gives you an education and even tucks you into bed at night and sings you to sleep. It's wonderful. And then. After a period of time, your mother says to you, I give up on you. You don't melt into my arms when I hold you. You still flinch when I reach out to you. You're still startled when I say your name. I want a child who would respond to my love. And you don't seem much different than when I found you. And sometimes we treat ourselves that way. When we think of self-care, it's toward a particular outcome. I'll take care of my body so I'll heal, or I'll eat right so I'll lose weight. And you might not say those words, but if you don't experience the results of 
what you expected or they take longer than you wanted, you get discouraged and maybe even give up. And maybe you tell yourself it's not worth it. And what you're really saying is you're not worth it. Maybe you treat yourself like a project to be completed or a problem to be fixed, but you're a human to be loved. So what if you loved and cared for yourself without conditions or expectations? What if it wasn't toward a particular goal, but just because you deserve to be loved? Because you do deserve to be loved without conditions. The third hidden way you might be neglecting yourself is treating self-care like it's all or nothing. So I'm recording this in January, and January tends to be the time when we get the urge to do this complete life makeover. It's not good enough to just make one small improvement that you might actually follow through with. No, it's just the big grandiose overall. So it is better to do less than what you hoped for than actually accomplishing nothing at all. You don't have to take a walk every day, just walk one day a week. Or even don't walk every week, just walk today. You don't have to eat healthy from now on, just eat one healthy meal. You don't have to walk away from an entire dysfunctional relationship, just say no to one aspect of it. One small act of self-care is better than nothing at all. A lot of the world has the expectation the new year should be started by bolting into action with new goals or resolutions, and there's so much internal pressure to get started on the perfect body or finally get organized or become more in some way. If self-improvement is coming from the belief that you're not enough or not good enough exactly as you are now, no matter how fit you are or successful you are, how clean your house is or organized you are, or any other external thing, you're always going to be driven to do more and more and more. Perfection just doesn't exist except as an idea. It's unattainable. It's unrealistic. And it's not helpful to demand perfection from yourself. What will actually help is steady progress that allows for continual improvement. So when you miss a self-care task, that's great because it's practice for being gentle with yourself and telling yourself, okay, I'm going to get back to it tomorrow. And then if you miss tomorrow, then you can practice telling yourself, hey, I'm a valuable human anyway. And my value isn't what I can do or what I look like or what I have. So it's an opportunity to just practice being there for yourself when you don't take care of yourself perfectly. Because it's really not good self-care to beat yourself up for not being good at self-care. And this is related to the fourth hidden way you might be neglecting yourself. Thinking that it's the grand gestures that matter. So your relationship with yourself and the way you care for yourself can be compared to a marriage and how you care for a marriage. In a healthy relationship, you might invest in weekend getaways and you might enjoy weekly or monthly dates. However, you can't expect a relationship to really thrive if it's only those special events. Because it's the regular day-to-day -day thoughtful gestures and loving comments and that steady presence that impacts the health of the relationship the most. It's the same way with self-care. A lot of people think of self-care as these extravagant 
things, these spa weekends or massages and facials, but that isn't it at all. It's the small day-to-day things that you do for yourself that make the most difference. It's the way you care for your needs. It's the way you respond to yourself in the moment and the way that you talk to yourself, the way that you're with yourself that matters the most. The fifth way that you might be neglecting yourself is waiting until you have loving feelings for yourself before you take care of yourself. A lot of my clients tell me that they hate themselves. And they base that on the way that they talk to themselves, the critical self-talk and the self-sabotaging choices that they make in their life. And what I tell them is that turning against yourself is actually the result of self-love, not self-hate. You turn against yourself to protect yourself. You criticize yourself before others do. And that's protection. You walk away from a great relationship before the other person walks away from you. That's protection. You don't protect what you hate. You protect what you love. And yes, those are misguided ways of protecting yourself. But you came up with those strategies when you were a child or teen. And that was the best you could do at the time. And that was your very best effort at loving and protecting yourself. So a lot of abuse survivors struggle to have loving feelings for themselves. And the trouble is that feelings, they come and go. Do you ever do loving things for a friend or a partner or a child, even though you don't feel love at the moment? Do you ever make a caring gesture just because you decided to do it or you said you would do it? Love is so much more a action than it is a feeling. So you don't have to feel the love to do the love. And even if it feels as though you don't have the capacity to love yourself, the compassion and the empathy that you direct toward other people proves that you have it in you. The sixth hidden way you might be neglecting yourself is limiting self-care to the actions that you take. Self-care is more than just what it looks like on the surface. Is eating a salad self-care? Well, are you eating the salad because it's the right fuel for your body or because you think you don't deserve anything else? And is working out everyday self-care? Do you do it because you love your body or because you hate your body? Are you moving your body to make it healthy or to punish it? The reason behind your actions and what you say to yourself about your actions are just as important as the actions themselves. So a common subconscious belief is that if you criticize yourself, you'll work harder to change. But is that really true? Have you ever planned to create something beautiful and thought, I know it would make this turn out even better? I'll just add a little hate to it. And when you attack yourself through critical thoughts, that triggers your nervous system in the same way that outside threat does. And that means that sends you into the fight, flight, or freeze response. And so you're sending yourself into that state and be aware um, what you're telling yourself because that's very disempowering. Now you might say, I can't control my thoughts. They just come up and I can't control them. And that thought that you can't control your thoughts is actually a thought. (laughs) It's not a fact. We 
are just not taught how to choose our thoughts from this intentional place. And the default is just to accept whatever floats through the mind. But you aren't your thoughts. You are the thinker of your thoughts. You the chooser of your thoughts. I teach this in detail in both Bloom and Flourish group programs. But for right now, I'll just share, and this may seem overly simplistic, but here's a way for you to start working with your thoughts. Choose what you want to think instead of waiting to think something because you can only focus on one thing at a time. All right, the seventh and last hidden way that you might neglect yourself is waiting until you have a crisis to take care of yourself. Not giving yourself the proper care can easily lead to a crisis, maybe a health crisis or financial crisis or relationship crisis. When you only attend to your needs as a reaction, you're struggling just to get back up to zero. So using self-care as a last resort means then you don't have much to invest into yourself. And that makes it so much more of a challenge when a crisis hits. You can start now with small, manageable steps. And each action you take adds up. And the mistake that so many survivors make is thinking that if you aren't already good at loving and caring for yourself, if you weren't born into a family where that was encouraged and modeled, that you'll never be good at it. It's as though the world is divided between those with the ability and those without the ability to love themselves. And the truth is that even though you didn't learn good self-care in your past, you can learn it now. And that's why I want to share my free masterclass with you, where you can learn how to stop the cycle of neglect and permanently reverse the effects of abuse and neglect. To get that, you can go to the show notes page at overcomingsexualabuse.com forward slash zero two one. Thanks for joining me today. I'm bringing you lots more on healing and self-care and boundaries and family issues and relationships. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of it. 